wonderful prayer to the Lord as well. Amen. So good to see you here this morning. Happy Fourth of July to everyone. Appreciate Reynolds and the things that God put on his heart to share, not only about communion, but about our, our nation. I think we, we definitely, I believe, take it for granted too often. Like most liberties you have until they're taken away from you. I'm thankful that we have the the liberty to serve God the way we do right now, openly and publicly. I want you, if you would, to turn with me in your Bibles to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. I want you, if you would, to read with me verses 18 through 20. Acts 19, 18 through 20. There was a revival taking place in Ephesus as Paul was ministering. And many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. Many of them also, which used curious arts, brought, them, brought their books together and burned them before all men. And they counted the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. So mightily grew the word of God and prevailed. I want to talk this morning to you uh, about the leading of the Lord. I believe these people were definitely led by the Lord in what they did. The leading of the Lord, but the leading of the Lord in the life of the believer. In this case, the life of a new believer or new believers. The leading of God to bring the people of God on in Christ. God is always desiring to bring us on. I know we talk about that all the time, but the, the, the Lord is leading us. If we'll follow, if we'll heed him, he's leading to bring us on. The specific place, not a destination on, on geography, but a, a specific place in Christ. The leading of God to bring us on in Christ. The leading of God to, to cleanse us. The leading of God to bring us on to a place of sanctification. And this is the working of God in the, the saint, the new believer, and in the believer, uh, period. But the desire of God is to grow the Christian and... That he, that he has redeemed, to grow and mature the Christian that he has redeemed, to bring us on into the fullness of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's a fullness, and that's always God's object. It's always God's end for your life and for my life. It's not just heaven when we die. Thank God we're going to heaven when we die. That is promised to us. It is a blessed hope of the church, the rapture, and then our home with the Lord, where the Lord says, so shall you ever be with the Lord in his word. Thank God for that. But God has an object in mind in your redemption, in your salvation, in this life as well. And I just want to read this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 13, 13 till we all come in the unity of the faith, and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. All of us. Perfect here means complete. Okay? Complete man. Unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So he's our measure. He's the, he's the measuring stick. He's the rule. He's the standard. And God is working by his Holy Spirit in the life of those that are saved. He's not working in the lives of those he hasn't saved. He is seeking the lost, he's seeking to bring them to Christ. But all those that have genuinely <coughs> given their lives to Christ, the Lord is working to bring us on to a fullness. Till we all come, it says, 
to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So this is like God's game plan. This is his, his uh, blueprint that he's working on when he looks at the lives of those he's redeemed. And just real quickly to give a background about what's taken place, this this what we read in Acts chapter 19 has taken place in Ephesus. Now, Paul had gone to Ephesus, and he found certain disciples there. That's what the Bible calls him. He, he found certain disciples there at the beginning of this chapter. And he says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? And they said, we haven't even heard if there is a Holy Ghost. He says, well, what, wait a minute. What, what baptism were you all baptized unto? They said, well, only John's baptism. So he says, time out. Uh, I, there's a lot of more good news you all haven't heard. So he preached the gospel to them. And they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then he laid his hands on them, and they were baptized in the Holy Spirit. And then Paul, for, for the space of three months, began to dispute and convince through the Scriptures in the synagogues. He would always go to the synagogues first, and they would ask him to speak, and, and he would. And so for three months, he's disputing and convincing through the, through the Scriptures that Jesus Christ is the Lord that he's the Savior, the promised Messiah, that he already died and rose again, and some believed, but some didn't believe. It's always the case, right? Some believed and some didn't believe, and those that didn't believe, their hearts were hardened, and they boldly and publicly began to speak out against Christianity and Christ and the gospel in Paul, boldly. So what Paul did is he withdrew those that believed. He called them disciples at that time. He says, let's go. He drew the disciples out of that place, and he began to minister to them. And he's, he's taught in this school. I don't know, this school called of Tyrannus for two years. So he spent a long time at Ephesus, okay? Timothy later would become the pastor of this church in, in Ephesus. And so this is what's taken place. And what took place right before what we read? We read verses 18 through 20. What took place right before that was there was... Uh, there were seven sons of a Jewish exorcist, seven sons of a man named Sceva. And these people had seen Paul and maybe other believers casting demons out. And they said, we want to try that. And there was, so there was a demon-possessed man. And they, these seven sons, Jewish sons of this Jewish man, Sceva, went to this demon-possessed man. And they said, we adjure you, or basically like we implore you, by Jesus, whom Paul preaches, to come out of the, the man. And the Spirit answered them very distinctly and said, Well, Jesus we know, and Paul we know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirits were leapt upon them and overcame them, the Bible says. We just don't have time to read it all. And, and they fled from the house naked and wounded. So this one man beat up these seven. They left with their clothes torn off and beaten and wounded. And it says, and this was known, and look in verse 17, Acts 19, 17. This was known to all the Jews and Greeks also dwelling at Ephesus. And fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. <clears throat> we just sang, oh, magnify the Lord with me, right? That is... God's desire is that Jesus Christ and that name be magnified above all. Well, when this took place, and the demons even said, Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who are you? And, and uh, these men 
were overcome by this demon or these demons in this man. And it says that this, this was known. This was a well-known account of something that happened. The Jews knew about it. The Greeks knew about it. And the name of Jesus was magnified. And then it says in what we read in verse 18, many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds. And those that used curious arts brought their books together and burned them before all men. And so this was the leading of the Lord. This is the, these Ephesian believers, y'all, they did something very, I would say, very necessary, very vital that they did. And we don't see where they were told to do it. There wasn't a specific uh, that we read of, a specific commandment, go burn all your books from your witchcraft and so forth. Uh, I'm sure that that was taught, but we, we see here that they, they did it. They came, and it was something very vital and necessary that these believers, believers did, and they did it early in their walk with Christ. Can I tell you, we can grow in the Lord all through our Christian lives, but how we get started is very important. It really is. Do you get started in a good church? Do you get started reading your Bible? Do you get started uh, baptized in the Holy Spirit? Do you get started learning what an altar is? A lot of these young people in this church, praise God, and, and others as well, are going to learn what that is early. How you get started, no matter what age you are when you get saved, how you get going, basically, is very important. Now, God can make up for it. If you didn't get a good start, he can give you a good finish. Amen? So I'm not, I'm not saying that that's not <coughs> possible. I'm simply saying these believers did something early in their salvation, early in their walk with the Lord. There was a sincerity, and there was a, and a genuine desire to follow God. There was a humility. They did something very simple, but I would say very notable and very powerful. They determined to go on with Jesus Christ. I think they saw it early on. This is something, if we're going, if we're going to be Christians, then we're going to be Christians. If we're going to be Christians, we're not going to be like we were before. If we're going to be Christians, we're going on. This is a whole new life, a whole new direction. It's not just a prayer that we pray. It is a whole new life that's different. And they realized it early on that we're going to go on with Christ. We're going to follow him. And I always think about this statement from Henry Blackaby, those of you that have read Experiencing God and done that study, a wonderful little study. And, <clears throat> excuse me, he said, you can't stay where you are and go with God. It's a pretty simple statement, but you cannot stay where you are and go with God at the same time. The Lord is moving. The Lord is working. It's not that he's abandoning abandoning us is that he's moving he's working he's working in the hearts and lives of people he's doing my father worketh hitherto and i work jesus said he's he doesn't sleep or slumber he's active and he's working and in your life and my life in the lives of those he's redeemed in churches he's working on lost people to try to bring them to christ to be born again but we can't stay where we are and go with god amen many in the church world today seem quite content to remain where they are. Now, whether they're saved or not, I don't know. And I'm glad I'm not the judge of all the earth. I'm glad the Lord is the judge to, to, to say, is that person saved or not saved? Uh, we're told we can know people by, the, by their fruit, but the Lord knows perfectly. Amen? The Lord knows perfectly. So I'm glad I'm not in charge of that, that God's in charge. But I would say this, many 
that call themselves Christians, and many in our churches today, whether they're saved or not, I don't know, they seem quite content to remain relatively unchanged. They seem quite content and comfortable to stay where they are, where they are morally, spiritually, and in, in their walk with the Lord. They seem quite uninterested in pursuing Christ. They seem quite unwilling to die to themselves, take up their cross, and follow the Lord. They seem quite uninterested in learning to follow Jesus wherever he leads. But Colossians 3, 3 says, but you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Well, that's, that's not special believers like Paul only. That is believers. He's speaking the church, uh, Colossian church, you're dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Many today in our churches, whether they're saved or not, I don't know, they seem unconcerned about their own lack of Christian character. They seem quite unconcerned about their own lack of fruit, of spiritual fruit that's pr produced in their life. They seem totally unconcerned about their perpetual immaturity. You meet somebody today, hey, I'm a believer too, and they're at a certain place in the Lord, a certain level in their or growth in their walk with Christ and their knowledge of the scriptures and so forth and their personal holiness and sanctification. And 10 years later, you run into them and they're no further along or maybe even worse off. They still say that they're a Christian. They're unconcerned about their perpetual immaturity. They're unconcerned about their lack of power in their lives to overcome sin. They're unconcerned about their own worldliness and their lack of a pursuit, <coughs> pursuit of the Lord Jesus Christ. They don't care. A lot of people don't care. And they call themselves Christian. Can I tell you that the Lord cares? The Lord cares that we're going on with him. The Lord cares that we're growing and maturing. He knows we're not perfect. He knows he has uh, a provision for that, the blood of Jesus. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, right? My little children, these things write unto you that you sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. There's provision and, and above and beyond for the failures of the believer after we're saved. But his desire is for us to grow. He cares that we grow. He cares that we come, be, become more like Jesus Christ. And we ought to care. Christ doesn't call men to be converts. He didn't call one and say, I want you to be my convert. He didn't call one that way. He called men to be his disciples. Jesus came to make disciples he says that where I am, there will my disciples be also. That's not just physically where he is. It is morally, spiritually where he is. That's where we're going to be. We're going to be siding with him. We're going to be seeking him. <coughs> we're going to be walking with the Lord and following after the Lord. And so Jesus did not call us to be disciples. I mean, converts, he called us to be disciples, and he didn't call us as his disciples to make converts. He called us to make disciples of all men. Amen? And so that has to do with following. The very definition of the word disciple is a learner or a follower. And so these Ephesian believers were disciples. They were determined to be disciples. They determined to move on. And what they did, and, and it's I know you've read it before, but when they burned these books, these books of witchcraft and so forth, when they brought them out and burned them, it says they, they were making a clear, decisive choice.
to follow Christ. That doesn't mean that never at any point did they sin after that. I'm not claiming to mean that. But I've talked about how important it is to have a good start. This was a great start for them. This was a great start for them. That they went on with the Lord. They determined early on to make a clear, decisive choice to follow Christ. And they also made a clear, decisive choice to break from their former sin. And their former lives of sin. And also from their darkness that was around them. Okay, they made a clear break. And so they burned their books. Many of them, verse 19, which used curious arts. First they confessed and showed their deeds. And then they brought their books of their practice of witchcraft. You say, well, that's got nothing to do with me. I'm not a practicer of witchcraft. The point is that they were separating from that former life. And they were separating from the darkness that was around them and the lost world that was around them. They're making a clear break and a stand. We are not of that anymore. We're saved. They weren't doing it so they, God would accept them and they would be saved. They did it because they were saved and their eyes had been opened and they wanted to go on with Christ to the fullness of the stature of Christ, amen, to that perfect man. And again, we don't see, we don't see some uh, big outside uh, commandment or mandate to do this. I believe it was the leading of the Holy Spirit. Did Paul preach it? He probably did. He probably did teach that. But the, the fact of the matter is that they were led by the, the Lord in doing this. God will lead us if we'll follow. He'll, he will lead us if we will heed and follow. And so what we do see on their part is a genuine desire in these believers to make a clear break from their former sin and their former sinful lifestyles. This was repentance, y'all, to me. This is a good picture of repentance. What does the word repent mean? It means a change of heart, a change of mind, a change of direction. When we're talking about the things of God and Christianity and a lost person and saved person, it has to do with turning, turning our life around. And too many are content in our churches now to hear the gospel, to, quote, receive Christ, but keep living the way they were before. That is not what he's called us to do, nor is that true repentance. True repentance I can't make you repent. You can't make me repent. But we can repent. We have the word of God and we have the Holy Spirit. And we have the grace of God. And he speaks to us and says, put that alcohol down. Put that whatever pornography down. We can repent. We can turn from it. We can come out of it by the grace of God. There's no other way we can, but we can by the grace of God. And we are supposed to. We're to come out of it. And so repentance, y'all, That repentance is something Jesus said, Unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Jesus said that. And on the day of Pentecost, when Peter preached his sermon, and, they, and the, 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 those that heard the gospel said, Men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter says, Repent and believe the gospel. Repent and believe the gospel. Repentance is something that's left out of most pulpits today, most churches today, most messages today. And repentance is, there's a one-time repentance when we repent and give our life to Jesus. Repentance towards God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, is how it says in the book of Acts. But there's also, I would say, a, a daily or a continual repentance where we turn and we stay turned. You know what I mean? We turn and we stay turned. If I'm turning to Christ, I'm actually in the same moment of turning to Jesus and he who's holy. I'm also going to have to at the same moment turn from my sin and that sinful lifestyle. 
okay? It'll be where I was the Lord of my own life, and here's all the things I did. I lived in the pleasures of the world, fulfilling the lust thereof, says in Ephesians 2. So in turning to Christ, I can't say, well, I'm going to have both. I got Jesus over here, I got my ticket to heaven, and I got everything back behind here. That's not repentance. Repentance is I turn from that, and I turn to God, and all that's behind me now. Forgetting those things that are behind, Paul said. There's a turning towards the Lord. Now, tomorrow, I might start feeling the tug of the world and start turning back this way, and, I, and, and then I repent again, and I come back to the Lord. You see, so there's a one-time repentance where we give our lives to the Lord, and then there's ongoing needs for repentance throughout our life where we stay repentant. So re- repentance is mentioned for churches and for Christians and believers, not just for a lost man. Okay, just so we know that. To me, this was a great demonstration of true repentance. Amen? True repentance. I just want to read this. Paul talks about this to uh, the Corinthian believers. In 1 Corinthians, he says, Such were some of you, but you're washed. You're sanctified. You're justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. What were they before? Well, he says, uh, Don't be deceived. adulterers and fornicators and drunkards and abusers of themselves with mankind and effeminate, they're not going to inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but now you're different. Okay, you're different. How? Because of Christ. You're washed. You're sanctified. You're justified by the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And so they had sin in their church. The Corinthians had sin in their church, and they didn't deal with it properly the first time. Paul hears about it. He says, you need to deal with this sin in your church. You're just letting uh, people in the church committing fornication and, and uh, <clears throat> all kinds of sins going on, and you're allowing them in the church, and you're saying, look what grace we have. He says, no, you need to repent the way you handle this. You need to deal with that, okay? You need to deal with the sin in your church and the specific people and the specific sinners in your church. You need to do that. That's one of many of their sins. But by the time we get to 2 Corinthians and Paul writes to the Corinthian believers, he's speaking about how they handled it rightly. They did what was wrong at first. Paul rebuked them, told them what to do. They did what was right. Hallelujah. Don't we do that a lot? We did what was wrong. We were taught. We were corrected. God spoke to us. Somebody grabbed us around, put their arm around our shoulder and said, Brother, sister, this is what you need to be doing. Here's the word of God. Let me pray for you. And then we do what's right. Praise God. Amen. That's what they did. And then he speaks about their true repentance. I'm just going to read this from 2 Corinthians 7. For behold, this selfsame thing that you sorrowed after a godly sort, what carefulness it wrought in you. Yea, what clearing of yourselves. Yea, what indignation. Yea, what fear. Yea, what vehement desire. Yea, what zeal. Yea, what revenge. In all things you have approved yourselves to be clear in this matter. Twice he says in that one scripture that in this matter you've cleared yourself. So there's something we actually clear ourselves. If I say, if I'm a Christian and I have a weakness or propensity to alcohol, and I'm, I'm a Christian and I'm drinking a beer, and, and the Lord convicts me of it, and I say, Lord, forgive me, and I'll pop another one and keep going. That's not repentance. They cleared themselves in this matter. They repented to such an extent that that they obviously publicly before the church, before God, before everybody, they dealt with it. They dealt with it correctly. They marked it. They laid it where it should be, and they went on with Christ. 
He says, you actually got revenge on your sin because you've so come against it and turned against it and from it. You see what I'm saying? There's a true repentance that took place. And I see that with these Ephesian believers. Okay, so the Holy Spirit, Spirit led them to do this. They burned these books and so forth, and they did it. And they wanted nothing to do with that former life. They wanted nothing to do with that former life of witchcraft, and they wanted uh, to leave no part of it hanging around so they could go back to it. And this is one of the things that I really gleaned from this, this passage here. No preacher had to beg them, please stop practicing witchcraft. They were saved. They were born again. They were set free from that, and they wanted no part of it. So my Bible in the King James, it says, many of them also, verse 19, which used curious arts. It's kind of a strange uh, word there. They use curious arts. Let me tell you what that is. Ephesus, that's where these new believers were, was was a center for black magic and the occult. Ephesus was. A center, not necessarily the only place, but it was one of the centers or capitals for occultic practices. The people sought to use spells to give them wealth, happiness, success in marriage. And superstition and sorcery were the commonplace. God clearly forbids this in his word. Clearly forbids it. We could look at Deuteronomy 18. We don't have time. You cannot be a believer and hold on to the occultic black magic or sorcery. Now note that I said doesn't mean that, that you could have never practiced those things before. Such were some of you. Okay, not necessarily here, but you understand the point. You can't be a believer in Christ and hold on to those things and say, I'm going to bring those things along with me into my Christianity. There's no place for that. We are to separate from those things very clearly. And that's why I said, and I believe this is held up, it's just spoken in almost a matter-of-fact way that they burn their books. But, But there's a couple of huge things that were accomplished by this, I believe. They burned their books. Here's what they didn't do. They didn't put them in storage. They didn't take all their books and put them in a storage unit. They didn't put them in a closet. They didn't put up in a top, in the attic somewhere all boxed up nice and neatly. Uh, why not? Why couldn't they just box them up and put them away somewhere? I'll tell you why not, because they could have gone back to them had they chosen. And so let's put this not just with black magic and curious arts, okay? Any type of sin we have that God is dealing with us. And if we're in sin, I promise you he's dealing you with, with you about it or me about it. It's not if he's dealing with me about it. He is. Will we listen? Whatever it is that we're associated with in that sin, we need to put it away. God will help us to do it, but it needs to be put away. Here they burned their books. They didn't put them in a storage unit because had they got a weak moment a month from now, they could have gone back to it, right? No, just where it is, it's packed up nice and neatly in a box in an air-conditioned climate-controlled storage unit, and I can go get it out and practice it anytime I want. I always say this. We ought to make it as hard to sin as possible. You can say, oh, well, that's just 
trying to serve God in your flesh, and you can say, it's biblical. Make it as difficult for yourself to sin as possible. And I know I'll give this illustration a thousand times, but if I'm trying to lose weight and eat healthy, I want to get in shape, and I want to lose weight, and all these things, then I'm not going to go every morning at 6 a.m. and sit in Dunkin' Donuts or Krispy Kreme and say, well, I'll just have coffee and I won't eat the donuts. That would be foolish, wouldn't it? Some point you're going to get weak and somebody right by you is eating a dozen chocolate donuts and you want some. And you're going to grab them. You're going to go for that. And so that would be foolish. We know that would be foolish. Make it as hard on yourself as possible for you to sin. Set yourself up, I guess you would say, for success. Yes, we need God's help. Yes, it has to be more than willpower. But it is going to include my will, I can promise you. If I'm trying to lose weight, it's going to include my will. And God will help me as well. So they they didn't put their books in a storage unit. They burned them. They also, you tell you what else they didn't do with them. They didn't sell them. They didn't make a profit off of that. They were valuable. I know I've shared this before, and this is not patting myself on the back. It's all glory to God. When I surrendered to the Lord, uh, my last semester at LSU, I had a roommate that was not saved, a good friend of mine, and we were both music connoisseurs. I mean, we had everything. I had, I, I remember I, I counted about 300 albums. Talking about albums, you know, that's when we played albums, and we're just going into CDs and stuff. Had the CDs, and I had cassettes as well, some, but mostly these albums. 300 of them, and I committed my life to Christ, and the Lord said, "Put, get rid of those. Don't listen to that anymore. But that was my favorite. I mean, this is, this is my favorite songs here. These are my favorite. These are my absolute favorites. He said, get rid of them. I was by myself in our apartment one day. My roommate wasn't home. I took 300 of them, and, and every recording I had made on cassettes and everything, and I put it all in a huge Rubbermaid trash can, put the lid on it, and shoved it out to the road for the, for the uh, trash people to pick up. And I put them out there. I don't know how much it was worth. It was worth a lot of money to me as a college student, okay? A lot of time of collecting stuff like that. And my roommate got home, and I told him about it, and he said, man, I wish you'd have given them to me. He was, he was lost, he not, but that's something else they didn't do with their books. They didn't sell them and make a profit off of them. And they didn't give them to anyone else. You know why? They had a testimony. And I didn't know anything really about serving the Lord at the time. But I knew I couldn't give them to my buddy. I wanted my buddy to be saved. If God's called me out of that, then it must be something that's not for the life of the believer. And I have to have a testimony. And so these Ephesian believers had a testimony. That brings us to the next thing. They burned their books but they didn't burn them in some little secret ceremony in the back of the church building. They burned their books publicly. Many that believed came and confessed and showed their deeds, and they piled up their books and they burned them publicly before all men. Before all men. There's a lot of wisdom in that. They didn't, they didn't do it privately. They did it very definitely, and they did it publicly and openly. And remember the climate. What is the climate morally and spiritually of Ephesus? That is, the uh, occultic practices. This is where the temple to Diana of the Ephesians was. It was a huge temple where thousands and thousands of people would go worship. The economy of the, the city was based on 
their idolatry and their, uh, their little shrines and trinkets and stuff they would make associated with their, their worship of Diana. They made their livings, a lot of people, off of this, everything. And these people are going out there publicly in front of everybody and burning that stuff. Not just a little church prayer group where everybody's saying amen, but they're doing it publicly before people that don't know the Lord, that are still in that the practices of darkness. And so that, that does two things. That lets everybody know where you stand. Everybody, your fellow believers, as well as lost people. It lets people know where you stand. It also helped to hold themselves accountable to others. Because when you do something publicly like that, you got a lot of witnesses. You have a lot of people watching. And it helps to hold you accountable as you go forward in your walk with the Lord from returning to that. So if all of a sudden one of these went back and, and, and showed up at some magic book parlor, whatever, to buy a magic book, they say, hey, didn't I see you burning your stuff? Why are you back here in here? It would help hold them accountable. I have I read about some missionaries to some of these countries. There are different countries around the world that practice voodoo or they practice different occultic practices and the missionaries themselves that go to try to reach these people for Christ have said that a private profession on the behalf of some of these people a private profession of faith in Christ is almost and they put that word almost almost worthless until he or she or the individual is willing to go home bring out their occultic, uh, occultic objects and openly and publicly destroy them Think about it. A private profession of faith uh, in some of these places, and I don't think it's just a few places. I think we could say it just about anywhere, uh, is almost worthless until the individual goes home, brings out their occultic objects, and openly dis destroys them somehow. Because it's showing a separation. It's part of that repentance. Otherwise, it's just words. It's just words. It's a thought. It's a warm, fuzzy feeling about Jesus and wanting to go to heaven. But he didn't come to give me a warm, fuzzy feeling and thought about going to heaven. He came to give me new life. For I'm crucified with Christ. He came to give me new life. And there has to be a separation. You can't stay where you are and go with God. So I believe this is something that all believers, not just the Ephesians or not just those that practice witchcraft and so forth, would greatly benefit from. Too many, I believe it's taught in the scriptures, too many believers, again, I'm using the word believers in the sense of I don't know if they're saved or not. The Lord knows. They call, they call themselves Christians. Too many do not separate themselves from their sinful lifestyles, from friends or for other things around them. Too many, so many do not. And because they do not, you know what happens? There's an endless, continual struggle with sin that they don't have to. We all struggle with sin. You understand my point, but there are many sins that just be instantly, like with a, a, a hatchet, would be chopped off and be out of our lives if we would get a good start from the beginning and make a full repentance towards the Lord, a full work of repentance. Burning those books was important. They're setting the, the standard right at the beginning. They're setting the tone. I'm going on with Jesus. Yeah, they would have other problems in their life. They'd have other times they would sin and have to ask God to forgive them. They might have some point down the road where something, uh, they felt an allurement or attraction to go back to that. But it was cut off. There was a clean break early 
in their walks. And too, so many people struggle with sin when we don't have to struggle with certain sins. We, we, we don't make a clean break, and we need to. And I think sometimes that people that uh, maybe we're just not taught, maybe it's not preached in our pulpits, maybe people don't know their Bibles well enough, probably all of those things. But a lot of times I think people think that'll just happen. You know what I mean? Just down the road, by the grace of God, these things will just kind of slough off of my life and be gone. You know, cursing, drinking, whatever, it, it'll all f just finally go away after I give my life to Jesus, over time. Can I tell you, I don't, I don't see anywhere that time is the, is the magic ingredient for that. Nothing's going to happen in my maturity in Christ over time if I don't obey the Lord, what he's telling me now. Nothing's going to happen. 50 years from now, I'll still be saying, oh, well, someday I'm going to be more holy and more like Jesus. Nothing's going to happen over time if I don't decide like these Ephesians, I want to make, I want to go on with Jesus. I'm deciding he saved me, and I see in the scriptures he desires me to be his disciple and follower, and I'm saying yes and amen to that. Don't always feel like it. Tomorrow I might not feel like it, but I'm deciding to go on with the Lord. It's not merely a matter of time to where we, we grow and are sanctified. It's a matter of the will being turned over to the Lord. And I say it all the time, you, can, you and I can grow in Christ almost as fast as we want to. There's nothing to do with the amount of time you've been saved, the amount of years you've been saved. It has to do with how, are you, how surrendered you are to the will of God. How obedient are you to when, what the Lord tells you? When he does show you of some sin in your life, how quick are you to go in before him and deal with it and do what he tells you to do to put it out of your life? That's how quick we're going to grow. I'm bringing this to a close. Every saint of God is called to live a life that's fully consecrated unto the Lord. We can't stay put. We can't stay unchanged. We can't stay with the same crowd of people. We can't hold to the same affections in our hearts. We can't hold to the same practices. We can't hold to the same entertainment. We can't hold to the same pursuits in life as we did before coming to Jesus. You cannot stay where you are and go with God. I want to read this real quickly from Ephesians chapter 5, 8 through 11. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. It always sticks out to me. This is what you were. This is what you are. Because you're not that anymore and you are this now, walk this way. You are children of light, so walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, proving what is acceptable unto the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Isn't that what they were doing by burning their books, their magic occultic books? The best that they could, at least in that instant, in that snapshot, we're piling it all up. And it was valuable. It was valuable. It cost something in this life, but it was more than worth it to serve God. Many modern-day Christians are very content to receive Christ, but not to live for him. To receive Christ, but not to obey him, not to die for him, not to follow him, not to live for him publicly. A couple more scriptures. Turn with me in your Bibles to Revelation 18. Now, this is an, uh, 
going to take place in the future. Revelation 18, verse 1, there is a literal Babylon that is like the economic uh, capital of the world, merchandise capital of the world that is going to be destroyed uh, in, in the future during the tribulation period. This is what it's speaking of. Revelation 18, 1 through 4. And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven having great power and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen and has become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit in the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication and the kings of the earth have committed fornication with her and the merchants of the earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. Here's what I want us to see, verse 4. And I heard another angel come from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, that you be not partakers of her sins and that you receive not of her plagues. There's actually a cry of an angel. God's come to his people, get out of there. Come out of there. Not just so you won't be destroyed, but that you won't be a partaker of their sins. Jeremiah says the same thing. My people, go ye out of the midst of her and deliver ye every man his soul from the fierce anger of the Lord. God has called us to come out. And I would say this, y'all, that when we don't make that clean separation from sin, it could be friends, it could be a, a lot of different things in our lives, early on in our walk with the Lord. And if you haven't done it early, then do it now, okay? But if you have not made a clear separation from things associated with your lost life and your sinful life and lifestyle, you're setting yourself up <coughs> excuse me, for a fall. You're setting yourself up for failure. Not that the Lord doesn't love you and not that you're not his child. But we are. You, know, you ever heard the saying, don't, don't burn any bridges behind you? Maybe in some areas of life, you quit this job, you go to another work, whatever. I would say it's probably wise not to burn bridges. But when it comes to walking with Jesus, absolutely burn the bridges. A bridge is something that connects where you are with another place. And if I've turned to Jesus and I have a bridge behind me that can lead me right back to those old friends and right back to that old music, and right back to that old lifestyle, and right back to all that sin when I didn't know Jesus, I need to burn that. I need to burn that. It needs to be burned. There's people in this room right here, you need to burn some bridges. You need to burn some bridges. These people burn their books of their curious arts. When, when the Bible says that we're to lay aside every... Uh, weight and the sin that does so easily beset us and we're to run the patient with patience the race that's set before us that word beset means entangles us and snares us when you study it and look it up it talks about there's a runner running a race and over here is a pothole and a step in it. and over here somebody else stuck a piece of a, you know strung some rope across there to trip you up or something is snares, is things that I'm running a race, and every time I take a step, I'm tripping and falling because something's got me tangled up. Well, the problem is here, it's not an enemy that's done, it's we do it. We set snares for our own lives. You need to burn those bridges. 
People think it's radical. People think it's drastic. People think, oh, you're just serving God in the flesh. It's all, uh, and you're not allowing God's grace. That is the grace of God. When I put 300 albums in a trash can and shoved it out and I liked every one of them, that was the grace of God. That was the grace of God that enabled me to do that. And guess what? I hadn't missed them once. The devil told me I couldn't live without it. It's like friends I had to separate from. Can't live without them. The devil's a liar. I got a friend who's six closer than a brother. Brother, He's given me a whole new lot of friends in my life. Amen? And I've got to lead some of those friends to the Lord since then. We're to come out and we're to be separate. And if there's something that's holding you back, you need to deal with it. God will help you to deal with it. But don't put it up on a top shelf. Burn it. Get rid of it. Put it out of your life. Amen? I'm going to close with this scripture. Romans 13, 14. But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ, and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. That's pretty clear, isn't it? That's pretty simple. Put on the Lord... And don't make a provision for the flesh. That would, be the, that would be the Krispy Kreme donuts. I'm trying to lose weight, but I just bought a dozen. I'm going to set them on the counter while they're still good and hot. Put some chocolate milk right by it. No, don't make a provision for that. Don't buy the donuts. Stay away from there. Go off somewhere else. Eat a carrot and try to lose some weight, right? And uh, we got we know not to make provisions for the flesh. You can come up, but these Ephesian believers, and y'all, the, the Lord helped them to do it. God had to help them to do it. They weren't just super special and stronger than any other believer. But I tell you what, you don't read a lot in Ephesians, say like in Corinth, you saw all this kind of worldliness and sins that the church struggled with in Corinth. They're named, they're pointed out. You don't see that when you read the book of Ephesians. I'm not saying they were perfect, they had a great start to their Christianity. They believed, and they, make a t- they made a total public break from all that stuff. They made, took a stand. You know, it's like the Alamo drawing that line in the sand and say, which side are you on? At least in the beginning, they had a good start, and they were on the right side of that, and they put those other things out. So they'd grown up and lived in a culture of occultic practices and the worship of Diana, They were trying to use power to bless their crops and bless their marriage and bless their finances and bring curses on other people. That's what they did. That's what these books would teach them, these occultic books. You know what, though? They found a power that was greater than all of that. They found a power that was greater from all that. They wanted nothing to do with this weak darkness anymore. Now unto him, this is in Ephesians, by the way, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that you ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. They found that power. And they wanted nothing to do with this other power. And they were letting people know. They're letting God know. They're letting themselves know. They're letting their fellow believers know. They're letting the lost world know. And they're letting the devil know, I don't want anything to do with that anymore. And they, they set themselves apart. God will help us. And God will help you. God will help you. And he helps me daily. If there's sin in your life that needs to be not only confessed and forgiven, but be repented of and put out. And you've had it in your life too long. You've had it hanging on. It's, it's tripped you up too long. 
it has been a stumbling block. It is a sin that easily besets you. God wants to help you. He wants to set you free. I promise you, if you give it to him, he'll take it. I promise you, he might give you a game plan. Say, tomorrow morning, I want you to wake up, and this is how I want you you to do. It might be some literal, practical things he tells you to do. Don't go sit in Krispy Kreme donut shop anymore. He might tell us something to do, but he will set us free from it. Amen? He is a faithful God. He wants to bring you and me on to the fullness, the stature of Christ. Father, we thank you.